So yeah, that podcast thing. Peace. Alright, here we go. Today is Monday, January 25th, 2016. See, I got it right this time. And this is episode 146 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Good evening, Mr. Bell. What most listeners don't know is it usually takes us four takes to get the date right. That's true, and uh, we did it in one. How about that? True podcast professionalism. Right here. How are you? I hear you're sick. What's uh, up with that? <clears throat> you know, I, my my wife tells me that it's a terrible affliction called the man flu, and I, I got to Google that. So hmm. not, not sure what that is. Could it could it be con flu after uh, Shmukon? No, I'm pretty sure it's uh, middle school flu. <laughs> so. Children. Yes. Germ factories. That's right. Mm. So anyway, I'm high as a kite on the cough stuff. Uh, legally prescribed and like you o- know. over the counter. Sudafed, if you have to know. Dear DEA, please do not arrest my co-host <laughs> again. At least for that. Man, can't catch a break. All right, I would, I would be lonely without you. So, uh, before we get started, the thoughts and opinions we express on the show are ours and do not reflect those of our employers. So, uh, getting into some stories before I fall asleep here. Our first one comes from Malwarebytes, the Malwarebytes blog, and the title is The La Chiffre. Wow, I wonder if that's right. Ransomware run manually. So, uh, so the the deal here is that there is... A number of companies in India who have, I guess, been uh, befallen this uh, this ransomware attack, and uh, it, it's not really clear exactly how much they've had to pay out. But what is unique is that it is a it's something that has to be manually run by the attackers, and and so the way this is getting in is apparently the attackers are finding uh, open or I guess relatively open uh, RDP ports or RDP systems into company networks. They're logging in. Uh, they're uh, they're downloading the uh, the cryptoware and the ransomware, and then they're running it manually and they're manually encrypting files on file servers and workstations that they connect to. Uh, and you know the Malwarebytes blog basically says there's this. This piece of, of ransomware is really lame, uh, but it's really effective. And uh, it kind of goes back to the point that you really, 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 really need to understand the ingress points to your network. Now, there's not a lot of detail exactly how this happens. And I do wonder, for instance, if um, if they have employees who are, let's say, at home uh, at, you know, on their on their home system, and they might not have split tunnel, or they might allow split tunnel VPNs, and 
you know, they've got, because everybody likes to RDP into their Windows system, they have it open to the, you know, the wide open internet. They're, you know, a simple, simple scan shows it, and there we well, go. Well, let's be fair. Most people at home are usually behind some sort of NAT device, though. Fair enough. That's that's a fair point. I mean, I can understand you would forget this being high, but... Well, but, you know, I would assume that, that you know, because they're all about convenience, they would have, um, you know, they would have a, a DMZ port oh. know, mapped to their mapped to their work laptop. That's some fancy stuff right there, man. Because, you know, you want to be able to connect to your work computer from your iPad while you're at, you know, the coffee shop. Because we apparently never stop working is what we're learning. <laughs> anyway, that's all hypothetical, but it makes a hell of a lot more sense than a laptop on a company's network being accessible with uh, RDP from the internet. That makes even less sense. <laughs> but I think what's interesting about this story is how amateurish this this code is, but it works. Yeah, yeah, and it uh, it doesn't completely. It, it, what is what's interesting is it doesn't completely encrypt the file it only encrypts the first 8k of data and the last oh and the last yes yes which is interesting depending on the data that may not matter right that you know again this is not necessarily representative of all cryptoware but this particular one is uh, it's pretty pretty rough uh you know and you could probably find some ways around it the other thing i found really interesting was in the ransom note it says we're, we're not criminals after six months you get you get your stuff back automatically just just ask us we're just going to keep it safe for six months or something. Yeah, and of course, it, of course, it was uh, uh, pinned on Russians because it was compiled with a Russian version of Delphi. So that can only be perpetrated by Russians, uh, and not just Russians. Clearly, nation state equipped. Yeah, this definitely smells of nation state right here. Right? Government trained. <laughs> yes, in well, the Spetsnaz coding schools of cyber. You know what? What what really strikes me though is how effective you can be as an attacker with really rudimentary tools. I mean, they they, they literally coded this thing in Delphi. They're using UPX Packer, which anybody can download, um, and they're manually installing it. Uh, okay, <laughs> but let's let's be fair. They can be effective, but over a broad swath of potential targets. Right. Yes, they could they could be completely failing at eighty percent of targets. Well, I, I'm assuming they're using something like Shodan or some search engine to to pick the targets they're they're going to go after. Right. They're they're probably you know they probably actually don't spend a ton of time uh, picking their targets because they just use some search engine to to pick them for them. Which, by the way, says that hey, maybe you should be trolling Shodan like search engines for your IP space. It's true. And, and to see what, what comes up. Although... Business, business plan right there. Yeah. Where's the VC money? <laughs> we will monitor Shodan for you for a small fee of $28,000 a month. And we will call it threat intelligence. Mm-hmm. 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 A custom, localized threat intelligence. That's right. And since I assume the Shodan database is probably pretty large, we'll call it big data in the cloud, too. <laughs> yeah. All right, so um, so yeah, there's that story. Um, so so is there a specific takeaway on that one other than just, you know, even weak, broke ass, crypto locker code works. 
I, you know, I, I think I think that is a, a big component of it. I, I think that the thing that was more interesting to me is is just the the rudimentary tactics, and also the fact that you know these organizations are just you know they're, they're not specifically being targeted because they're you know any in any particular industry. They're just popping up on the internet with an open RDP port. RDP port, and so you can imagine, you know, if 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 you are in that, if your company is in that boat, you know, how long is it going to take for them to find you? Right. That's that's my my takeaway, and and that's a really hard problem because you're playing whack a mole, uh, but you know, it it really points to the fact that we got to have intrinsically uh, safe. Uh, architecture designs. So, oh, well, did you have any other comments? Uh, no, I, you know, it's kind of beating the dead horse of, you know, <laughs> at least do the basics, people. Yeah, I guess the other thing is backups, right? They, and they, they did point yeah. out that it wasn't associated with this ransomware campaign, but there were others in India uh, where the victims actually lost a lot of money, like millions, mm. millions of dollars. Uh, and, and some of the, I think on this particular one, some of the, uh, allegedly, some of the people who have paid were executives. Wow. So, you know, it's, man, it, it, I really, I really am becoming convinced that the whole ransomware thing is, is um, I hate to say it, you know, the kind of the future of, of commodity attacks. Well, it's very easy to monetize. And yeah. it, it, you can go broad. You can, you know, grab any target of opportunity, and uh, it's it's like more effective spam, right? You know, what's the conversion rate of Crypto Locker? Probably pretty good right now. Right. Absolutely. So. And and the problem is, I think people keep forgetting that they think of Crypto Locker as one attack. It's not. That's merely the payload. So we can keep it, or they can keep adapting Crypto Locker and Crypto Locker type. Uh, you know, uh, payloads to any sort of exploit and attack vector. So it's not like we can just, you know, buy a good anti-crypto locker tool that gets developed. It doesn't, you know, it's not that simple. It's it's a highly varied series of different types of attacks to get in the door. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly right. I mean, like, the, the, a lot of them, I, is, as we've come to, to know, a lot of them are delivered via email email attachments and you know the i would say probably by volume the most the common attack are uh the the attachments you know the the um uh, shipment invoice or the shipment notification or the hr spreadsheet or or what have you those are the those, those are probably the most common attacks but you know i think to your point there's a ton of different ways whether it's web you know, drive-by exploits, whether it's, um, you know, like this with people logging into your, <laughs> directly into your network, um, right. you know, USB drives, there's there's just a, a myriad of different ways, and there's all sorts of different variants, um, like uh, dozens of, of major categories of ransomware now. So this is a, it's a quickly growing area, and I suspect just given the size of the problem that we're going to we're going to see something have to change and i don't know what exactly that's going to be yet so anyway 
it, it's it comes down to the fundamentals, you know. The, this is going to continue to grow until it's not profitable anymore. Right. Which I don't see that happening anytime soon. Yep. So uh, speaking of profit, next story comes from Tripwire Status Security Blog, and the title is "Hacker Steals Fifty Five Million Dollars from the from a Boeing Supplier," and the supplier's name here is FACC, and they they apparently are a, a supplier to a bunch of different aviation companies based in Australia. There's not any real details that I've been able to see on exactly what happens, but we can kind of use our imagination that it, just given the amount, it, this probably wasn't a crypto locker type attack. Um, no. But uh, my guess is that it was the, uh, you know, the, the normal, uh, you know, CEO, fake CEO email to the, to the CFO, send, send money to this Chinese bank account. Yeah, it certainly seems like it. The way they're the way they're couching the the language in whatever they're talking about is definitely seems to indicate this wasn't a highly technical attack. It was it seemed to be more of like you said the CEO fraud attack. Right. Um, but man, fifty five million is huge. That's a bunch of money. That's massive. Yeah, and I, I don't know exactly how big FACC is, uh, but you know. uh, they're fifty five million dollars smaller. Right now. <laughs> they certainly are. <laughs> they most certainly are, and you know you're not going to get that money back. So that's that's tough knots, man. Yeah, it's this is an interesting one that's just slowly kind of growing, but is when it lands, it is huge. It is a huge impact when it lands. Yeah, and what was I, I think what uh, what the blog here, the blog post here was was marveling at is that you know here's a here's a uh, aerospace supplier, right? Somebody quote infiltrated their IT systems, whatever that might whatever that means. And they didn't steal they weren't after their technology, they were after their money. So Again, quick to monetize, right? Quick to monetize. That's right. And, um, uh, who knows? I mean there could have been also a way that they got into their bank accounts directly. Uh it could have been they they dropped some sort of keylogger on you know, some accountant's desktop, or who knows? I mean, there's, there's, but it looks like they definitely were going after the, uh, the financials directly. Certainly possible. And when you know, when the stakes are fifty million bucks, or or into the millions of dollars, you, you've got to believe that the attackers are are pretty motivated to, you know, to to find a way to to conceal themselves and kind of blend in. That's you know, that's a lot of, that's a damn lot of money. And mm-hmm. and we have seen in in the past where a lot of these attacks, or at least some of these attacks, are the result of one of the executives being fished, and the attackers basically monitoring the normal email traffic of one of the executives, and kind of learning the lingo and learning the you know the 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 mode of operations, so that when they send their email requesting the money. It uh, blends in. Yeah. And this is something I think more and more executive teams are probably going to have to take a look at and introduce some sort of extra control. Yeah. Uh, and and teach their people that you know, no matter how convincing the email sounds to keep it off the radar and blah, 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 which is exactly what these guys do, uh, you may have to challenge that. But it's... Yep. It's a it's a very interesting sort of psychological attack 
because it's very much playing with the authority figure of the CEO and how they can command uh, actions from the staff. And you're in essence having to build a control that even the executives can't short circuit, which is something we fought, by the way, forever in the IT security world, that executives just don't want to be held to the same standards. And they're the executives, so they get to, uh, to make that call. Right. You know, hopefully they understand the risk they're accepting when they do that. But here, uh, because it's financial dollars and cents, I think that the executive ranks are probably going to understand this one a lot easier. And it's more conceptually easy to grasp for them to get their arms around and, and probably build some some safety valves for these sorts of things. Yeah, it's going to force – I think it's going to force the hand, right? Yeah. Gonna, there's going to have to be some changes. So I, I do wonder, from that perspective, you know, we in, in in information security land, we have our conferences and uh, you know, training classes and best practices and things like that. I do wonder if in the executive circles, which I guess I'm one now, anyway. Um, <laughs> okay, give it a week. Yeah, um, if if there's you know some some similar kind of venue where. I don't know who it would be, right? You know, the National Association of CEOs or whatever can, can uh, um, you know, start raising the awareness of this kind of thing. Because, I, you know, who, unless unless it's us, right, it's, it's the IT security people uh, telling them, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to find out about it. And I, I would imagine, to your point, they may not listen to us anyway. So, however, you know, I, there aren't a lot of great controls, but one con- uh, t- that prevents this. But one control that you should not rely on is cyber insurance. Why would you say that? Well, good thing you asked, because the uh, the next story we have comes from Krebson Security, and the title is "Firm Sues Cyber Insurer Over Four Hundred Eighty Thousand Dollar Loss." Mm. Yes. So uh, the story here is that Ameriforge Group is suing Chubb Insurance. By the way, we covered a very similar story a couple months ago. We did. Also suing Chubb Insurance. And a similar kind of similar kind of deal. Although this one has a little more a little more meat in the reason Can I say for the record, yeah. I once knew a cat that I was very fond of and his uh, his nickname was Senior Chubb Chubb. So whenever I hear about Chubb Group, I think of Senior Chubb Chubb. That's, he was a good cat. That's fantastic. He's gone now. Anyway, sorry. Just reminiscing about cats long gone. That's it's okay. I'll, I'll give you a moment to recompose. No, that's okay. Carry on. All right. So, um, so anyway, AF Global, Ameriforge Global, uh, they were you know, basically defrauded out of four hundred eighty thousand dollars through one of these CFO fraud uh, email attacks, where this you know somebody forged an email from the CEO to the CFO or one of the financial executives and you know, basically convinced the that person that hey you know I'm in China we're we're working on this super secret uh purchase right and and you need to transfer $480,000 uh that would cover the you know basically the due diligence charges and uh, and you know you basically love Mr. CEO. And of course, you know, 
you know, it, it, it actually, when you read through it, it's, it's pretty well played. You know, basically the CEO says, you know, you, you should have heard by, you should have the, heard from the fake, the fake CEO. Yeah. The, the fake CEO Yeah, in the email said, you know, you should have heard from, uh, from our, uh, outside consultant, somebody from KPMG in this case, somebody named Steven Shapiro. And, and shortly after the email was sent, somebody posing as Steven Shapiro calls this financial person and says, you know, hey, I'm calling you about the email that your CEO just sent you. Right. You know, do you have any questions, basically? Um, and, you know, you, this is really important for you to to, uh, to take care of. And you absolutely cannot talk about this because of some SEC regulations. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, so you know, this, this kind of goes back to some of the basics of of social engineering, engineering and fraud about like, you know, the, the time and the urgency and, you know, looking for some of the, some of the important keys. But again, when it's coming from your CEO, yep. that's, that's really rough. And the only reason they caught this was that apparently shortly after or sometime after a couple of days later, yep. a couple of days later, the CEO, the person uh, purporting to be the CEO said, okay, now it's time, you know, thank you for the 400, $80,000. Now it's time for you to transfer the money to buy the company, 18 million bucks. And that was when the finance guy said, oh, I should probably go find out if this is real. And, uh, and sure enough, it, it, it wasn't real and they were too late to get the 480k back. And, uh, and so anyway, they, um, so what we've learned is you can get away with asking for a half a million. Yeah. But if you get too greedy, right. They might, they might catch on to you. That's right. Well, it just says that's when he got suspicious. So we don't know if something else triggered his suspicion or if it was the amount of money or whatnot. But Yeah, they could have been at the bar saying, hey, I transferred that money. What money? Right. <laughs> so anyway, um, so, uh, so AF Global filed a claim with their cyber insurer carrier, Chubb, uh, Senior Chubb Chubb. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Senior Chub Chub sent a stern letter back saying um, denied. In very very carefully uh, chosen legalese, by the way. Yes, and what was very interesting is in this denial they were very explicit about why they denied it, and and it, the reason they denied it is that the insurance policy covers fraud, you know, fraudulent use of financial instruments, and. So you know, basically, the um, Chubb is saying the insurance company is saying that an email, a fraudulent email requesting the transfer of money, does not constitute a financial instrument. And they're saying something like a check, or right. Something like that is a financial instrument, but not this email requesting a transfer. Right, right. And, and so, and- uh, <laughs> so, so now they're in court. Yeah, and it's an interesting sort of situation. So, you know, you can kind of see the position that, that the insurance company has saying, hey, you know, we very specifically said this is what we cover and we don't feel that this is within uh, the scope of that. However, here now we've got a situation where um, it's going to be tested in court as to whether or not a email request for a wire transfer will be considered a financial instrument in terms of the policy of this particular Insurance company. Yeah, and I would imagine just given some of the 
the story we just talked about, right? And some of the others we've talked about in the past that however this is adjudicated in the courts is going to be pretty important. And, and well, I imagine that various uh, cyber insurance providers will be rewriting their policy to make this more clear. Fair. That's a fair point too. Yes. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, we do have a challenge here where the concept of, fi- of a financial instrument, at least in theory, not legally, but in, you know, in the broader concept, has changed. We have so many other ways of, of doing things now and communicating now. It's interesting to see how this will play out, I think. Yeah, I agree. There's, like, I, like we said, this is the second, uh, second case. The other case was with... Um, uh, it was like metadata. It was a weird company. Yeah, metadata solutions uh, were, were is suing Chubb for four point eight million dollars. So that was a that was a lot bigger, ten times bigger, in fact, um, loss. So, I, I you know I suspect we're you know at some point we'll see what happens. Uh, although these can take years, so really difficult to see. I think this is probably also what's going to take to shake out the cyber insurance industry into maturity. It's probably going to be have to a series of lawsuits like this. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And you know, the other interesting thing too is, I wonder if, kind of to the point we were talking about, these sorts of of cases are going to take away some of the comfort level that you know, hey, um. You know, it's 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 okay because we have this insurance policy, right? And, right. And and We're now you don't. The risk. Yeah, we are transferring the risk. Well, I think ultimately what will probably happen, and we've seen some of this already, is that cyber insurance companies are going to become their own audits, auditors, right, to the companies they employ. Or sorry, not employ, but insure at certain levels of insurance rates. You know, you're asking for $10 million of coverage. Okay, we're sending two auditors out there for two weeks a year. And we want to know what you're doing before we sign off on that. Possibly so. I, you know, I I can't help but but wonder if we'll see something more interesting develop in terms of insurance that specifically covers this risk. Because you know, there there isn't in you know, assuming this plays out in the insurance company's favor, this is a this is a risk that I'm not sure an audit would would catch right because it's a it's something against a human now maybe maybe Possibly. process they controls could, right yeah, right they could say what are your what are your process controls for this sort of thing right. I, I mean hell if if i'm a if i'm a red team company i'm probably going to start adding this to my social engineering attempts well a- absolutely absolutely if, if allowed by the customer but you know the i guess the the thing is Again, we don't know. I, I'm not exactly sure how big Ameriforge is, or how big metadata was, or how big uh, the the last company we talked about was. But you know, if, if, assuming these lawsuits don't go through, that money's just gone. I mean, it's it's gone. They, you're not getting it back, and and that could be really devastating mm-hmm. to a company. You know, I mean, that could be their payroll, and um, and, and so. I I do wonder if some of these things are going to be start to be viewed as an existential threat. And in that respect, if insurance companies are kind of, kind of step up and offer some maybe custom products to cover this specific risk, which might cost more money. Right. Because it really is coming down to that, right? What's, what's the cost of the premium if they can, if they can rate that against the, the, the risk, right? Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, um, 
you know, I, I, I do think it kind of comes back to not all of these problems are, are necessarily technical. I, I do think that that's an example of a, you know, of a process issue that from an, where, where process and IT security kind of uh, converge, where you mm-hmm. really need to have um, you know, some kind of a process. So maybe this is an opportunity where we can work with our, our finance departments, our accounting departments, and, and educate them and, and maybe help them design some kind of a you know, multi-step process that ensures that some, you know, a single person can't make this kind of a Because we've got plenty call. of time for that. We'll get well, right on that. But again, you know how many? How many? <laughs> You're not wrong. I'm just being. How, how many? How many uh, IT incident losses do we deal with on the average day that can end up with, you know, somebody walking out of your door with half a million bucks? Uh, none that I've been able to think of. <laughs> so, it's a big. You know, it's it, it's it's a big loss opportunity. So, the last story we have for tonight comes from uh, Sean Tuma's blog. You know, oh, go ahead. one thing, you mentioned that you've now reached the executive levels for a large multinational corporation. Are you sure you're not actually, maybe not sick and on medication, but you've actually begun the executive lobotomy? You know, they did send me a kit. And, and I had to stick know. something to my eye. I, it was weird. Oh, they've I, they, I, going through the eye these days. That's new. Well, you know. I mean, you are an executive. Clearly, this means you can no longer be technically astute. Some would say that I haven't been in a long time. I was trying to be nice. (laughs) Thank you, though. Fair enough. Carry on. Anyway, uh, last story, as I was saying, comes from Sean Tuma's blog, and the title is Super Value Data Breach, Class Action Dismissed for Lack of Harm. I thought this one was pretty cool to talk about. Because uh, as we talked about a long time ago, Super Value got hacked. And uh, what was really interesting about this, and I've often wondered about this particular instance, right? Everybody loves to, you know, get in a tizzy after a retailer's breached. And, you know, we, we, issue, re, we reissue millions of credit cards and blah, blah, blah. And I've often wondered, well, how many credit cards are actually, you know, the victim of fraud, right? So we talk about the cost to reissue the cards and we talk about, you know, the the cost to investigate the breach and, and how many uh, how many people's cards were impacted, but we rarely ever hear, at least I rarely hear, how many people actually suffered fraud. And apparently uh, the story here is that there was a... a, a a, a class action lawsuit against Super Value, who had, again, who had been hacked, and they had a bunch of credit cards stolen. 114 plaintiffs had come together in this in this case, but apparently there was only one person who had suffered credit card fraud, and the rest of them were claiming, you know, basically prospective losses, which I find really interesting because if you had, you know. If you had your credit card reissued after the fraud, how I, it just doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't understand how you could go forward with with a standing saying that, you know, okay, my, my card data was stolen. I got a new card as a result of it being stolen. And so now I can't incur, presumably, can't incur any future losses because they don't have on that 
associated with that particular breach because they don't have my new card number. So right. w- what are you suing for? And apparently that was, I guess, what the judge said too. So interesting. Oh, now, I, I will say that they he dismissed the case uh, without prejudice, which means that they can uh, they can refile if the circumstances change. So right. It also makes you wonder too. How often are these cards actually getting used fraudulently? And you know, what's the conversion rate of stolen cards being turned into some sort of product or money? I, I don't know. It's um, I'm not really sure. I, I have not seen too many, you know, t- too much data on this. Now they do talk about. Um, Oh, actually, the 114 was the uh, target, was the name plaintiffs in the target case, so I, I stand corrected there. Um, they did say that uh, in, in the target case, 114 plaintiffs incurred fraud in the Neiman Marcus case, which, by the way, think about the scale of the target breach. There was 114 people experienced fraud. Um well, that, I, that's that, name plaintiffs, so I suppose there could have been more. Sound right. I mean, because keep in mind, a lot of these are found after a lot of fraudulent activity starts kicking off, and they find a single point of contact. Uh, yeah. Well, I, yeah. The, the, I, there is, a, I think, there is an important nuance in the wording in the target in the target case. Many of the 114 named plaintiffs actually incurred fraud, so that just means that of the people there was only 114 people on this case there could have been many right. more who incurred fraud but they did say then then they go on to say that in the Neiman Marcus case more than 9200 customers experienced fraudulent charges so i'm guessing that depending on who steals your your data and you know how quickly they get it to market i'm guessing that has a lot to do with how many customers experience fraud i i, I suspect and obviously it's not my business but at least that I'll admit to. <laughs> Indeed. Anyway. Indeed. Uh, it, it, you know, interesting, interesting times. This is uh, the, all of this stuff is is kind of shaking out in an interesting way, and and um, you know, now that we've had so many retailers breached, uh, I, I think the case law is is going to be pretty interesting. If you fast forward five years, um, hopefully it. it ends up in a sane way and certainly this seems like it went in the same direction so anyway that's uh yeah that was the stories so i think we we had one thing to to mention which was uh hack in the box amsterdam coming up yes indeed uh friends of the show uh we've been invited over there and one of these days we will get there that's right but not probably not this year sadly that's right. So um, that's I think up. Well, a call for papers is open. Yep. And the conference is coming up in a couple of months. It's in Amsterdam, which I hear is nice. Yeah, it is. It's very nice. And we're not we're not paid in any way to say that, by the way. Let, let's just be clear on that. We we you know right now we're only shilling for a funeral home, and we may bring on a. Mm, lifestyle enhancement beauty <laughs> parlor. That's right. Uh, you know, emporium. I'm told. I'm told that the word vajazzling could be offensive, so I'm trying not to use that. I yeah, I can see how that would be offensive. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so anyway, just to be clear, we just 
like the guys at Hack of the Box because they like us. That's right. So, so the, uh, the conference is uh, uh, the 23rd through the 27th of May uh-huh. in Amsterdam. And uh, you can go to conference.hitb.org to find out more information. So what we're really saying is is compliments and sucking up to us get you everywhere. This is apparently the basically the ba- Basically, yes. Yeah. That's um, right. What else is going on? Isn't there? Isn't there uh, some other conferences? Uh, Atlanta B sides starting to get planned. Yeah, uh, I Atlanta. saw some traffic on that today. Then uh, Circle City Con is coming Ooh. up too. Let's see, when is that? Hang on. See, if I if I had my stuff together, I would have figured this out already. Uh, well, you know, you're sick. We'll, we'll let it go. Yeah, so Circle City Con is in. Uh, it's in Indianapolis, and what? the dates we named the dog indiana (laughs) anyway go to circlecitycon.com and you can figure it out other friends of the show that's right we've met at various conferences on about and uh great yeah great people i uh, i actually would like to go this year i've heard it's a it's a really good good conference um i'm mostly recovered from schmookon my my liver still got some lacerations but okay (laughs) One of these days, you'll just have to use that backup liver that you're growing in Southeast Asia. True. I'm, I'm trying to keep it, you know. I get it. You want to preserve it till you really, really need it. You don't want to pull that trigger too soon. Yeah, exactly. Well, I get it. So uh, just to wrap up, thank you very much to all of our Patreon donors. Indeed. That, that is, uh, you guys are awesome. awesome. For the record, Jerry doesn't share any of that with me. Oh, for Pete's sake. I mean, it goes to so, fund the compound. So I thank you, even though I get none of it. <laughs> Clearly, I'm going to have to set up the co-host fund. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. And did you see, by the way, speaking of, of, of uh, show swag, did you see Caesar the Security Cat sleeping on my defensive security pole? I did. Very nice. <laughs> he, was, he was like, this is, this is my spot. This is for Kitty. Well, you know, he, he, he blends in with the... With the color, so he does. Yeah, he does. Anyway, I, I interrupt your thinking. Sorry, go on. Yeah, and uh, you know, thank you to everyone who listened, especially if you're still listening. I would imagine not many people are now. We we have a. I I am not quite sure what happened, but over the past several months, we've nearly doubled our listenership. So uh, if you are new to the show, thank you very much for listening. Tell a friend if you like the show. Um, give us some love on iTunes. If you have any feedback. Send us an email to info at defensivesecurity.org. I, I, I do try, at least, to answer them. Although I get a absolute crapload of Russian spam and phishing stuff. So, um, you know, whatever. How, how do you know those aren't just Russian fans trying to send you questions? Uh, I don't know. Well, well long, go, learn, go learn Russian. And long then story. We'll long story. Oh, all right. And uh, you can find the uh, show, the links to the stories we talked about in our show notes on our website, www.defensivesecurity.org. And um, I think with that, we will call it a week and talk again next time. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <clears throat> I just have a cold. And I took Sudafed, and now I'm like, Spaced out of my mind. Awesome. I'm sure it'll make for a great show. That's what I was thinking. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.